Hello and welcome back to the Text Lab. Man, we are so excited to be with you today. Um, this week, I am joined with Kyle. Hello. Hey, how's it going, man? Good, good. Good. I, I should have set up my mic differently because now I have to like turn <laughs> turn my head to look at you and I'm just going to stare at the wall instead of you the whole, the yeah, whole time that, now. That's fine. Um, we were talking beforehand on what we could just kind of talk about before we get into the meaty stuff of all of trees and everything. And we did come up with something incredibly important. Very, very important. Yes. Yeah. The question today that we're going to be talking about is what are the worst and best types of Halloween candy? And just to be clear, that's not like the big question we're talking about in the passage. <laughs> that's that's the next 15 minutes for you. <laughs> but I think good candies for me are good sour chewy candies, Sour Patch Kids, or Reese's. And a good candy bar, that's like Snickers, Butterfinger. I'm down for that. Well, yeah, the best is always the king-sized like if, if a yeah, house is handing out king sized, yeah. it's usually in a gated community. Yes. That like I broke into with my friends. <laughs> yeah. When I was doing And Halloween. that's the best. That is definitely the, the worst, nasty hard candies, like those weird little strawberry ones. Those are the grandma. Those are the grandma candies. Yeah, you I've actually never people. even seen those yeah. in a store. I think you you have to be a grandma to find them. I don't like those weird hard candies. And uh And then the people who are giving out like healthy stuff. Yeah, that's pretty jacked up. It's just not cool. I've gotten a toothbrush before. That's actually... And pennies. Pennies, that's pennies awesome. Pennies is pretty tough. <laughs> that's funny. Or like fruit. I've heard <laughs> of people getting vegetables. And... <laughs> yeah. What about you? Favorites? Least My favorite candy is Snickers. Mm, um, it's I, so good. I think it's just like so savory. Yeah. Um, and, then, and Reese's probably, but Reese's I'm never like... I'm never. I never eat a Reese's, and I'm like, yeah, okay, good. I'm I'm ready to go do my day. Mm. I always want like 40 Reese's because yes. they they're just kind of small and so good and so good. So they just leave you wanting more. My least favorite candy. Oh, I'm not much of a sour fruity guy. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's alright. We can still be friends. Thanks. Um, but yeah, I would say it's like the grossest or like the one I'm most disappointed about. There's oh. just like oh yeah, go. tootsie rolls, Mm-mm. yeah, and and especially on Halloween they're cold. It's nasty because it's cold out, and then you break your teeth on them, and they don't even taste that good. It's the good thing about it. Snickers is it's actually healthy because it has peanuts in it, and yeah, it's really healthy. <laughs> it's really healthy. There's like a lot of calories in it. Well, anyways, um, thank you for joining us for this podcast. We will catch you next week on the text lab. <laughs> Do you want to Just take kidding. us through yes. some stuff? Today we are in Romans 11, verse 16 through 24. So just a little bit of a recap. If you've been with us, we're basically saying the same thing at the beginning of every one of these podcasts that Paul in Romans 11 and 10 and 9 has been wading into God's cosmic redemptive narrative and talking about the role of Israel and the role of the Gentiles. And so we've talked a lot about that. What I want to do instead for the context is just um, this passage that we're going to get into today is going to start talking about olive trees and olive branches. And some people might be like, why is he talking about this metaphor? Yeah. And the metaphor is actually really significant in the Old Testament and thus would be really significant in the mind of any of the Jewish um, people who Paul is writing to. And so we just want to orient us to this metaphor. So throughout the Old Testament, 
Israel is described as an olive tree or an olive branch. And so one example of this that's very explicit is Jeremiah eleven sixteen, where it says, The Lord called you, Israel, a thriving olive tree with fruit, beautiful in form. So all through the Old Testament, Israel's referred to as an olive tree. When they're faithful, they're being fruitful. Jesus is going to pick up on this imagery in John 15 in the New Testament when he talks about Christians abiding in him. Um, so, so that's why Paul's going to use this image. But always there has been this warning that if Israel is unfaithful, uh, God will discipline them. And that's even found in the Jeremiah eleven sixteen passage. So again, I'll read it. I read half the sentence, half the verse. It says, the Lord called you a thriving olive tree with f- uh, fruit beautiful in form, but with the roar of a mighty storm, he will set it on fire and its branches will be broken. And so it's saying that if Israel wanders away from Yahweh and rejects him, God will break off this branch. And that's what we're going to read about today. Paul's going to talk mm-hmm. about how Israel is like a branch broken off of the tree as they have largely rejected God. And now Israel, or I'm sorry, the Gentiles are going to be described as this branch that's grafted in. So just a little background on the yeah. image of this passage. The whole passage is basically just playing with this image. Yep. So hopefully that helps make sense of what we read. You want to read it? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, here we go. Verse 16 says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? All right. So lots of language about olive trees, olive branches, grafting. My horticultural knowledge is not extensive. And so horticultural, uh, it's like plants and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Okay. So yeah, some of these passages (laughs) we kind of have to wrestle through. Whereas Mm. I think a lot of Paul's original audience was much more steeped in a farming culture and this stuff was just like at the at, at their fingertips all the time. So what Paul is getting at here is he's, he's directing his attention to the Gentiles. So he's talking specifically to the Gentiles who are the branch that has been grafted in. So there's this, again, the image is basically God's people are like an olive tree. And now the Israelites, because they have rejected God, they're like a branch that snapped off and this new tree or this new branch, the Gentiles is being grafted in. Mm-hmm. And so what Paul is saying to them is, hey, Gentiles, you're the new branch. Don't be arrogant towards the old branch and don't start thinking we're better than yeah. Israel or something like that. And so then he gives them two specific warnings in 19 and 20. 
He says that God didn't break Israel off because you guys are super awesome. He says the reason they got broken off is because of their unbelief, right? He has this sort of theoretical quote where they, the Gentiles might say, branches were broken off so that we might be grafted in. Like we're awesome. So God just snapped off that other branch because we're better anyways. And he's Mm -hmm. saying, no, 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 no. The reason they got snapped off is not because of anything about you. It's because of their unbelief. And so then he goes on to warn them and say, and if you guys don't believe, then you're not just going to get off scot-free. So he's laying out this warning against arrogance and being proud of our salvation. Which is so interesting to me as like we've spent so much time with Romans talking to the Jews and saying like, and, and viewing kind of how they have viewed righteousness, like being made righteous by their works. And like what he's saying to the Gentiles is so similar to what he has been saying to the Jews. Yes. It's like stop being proud. Like you couldn't earn it. And it's all by faith. Yeah. Like if you don't have faith, then God's going to cut you off just the same. Like it's a level playing field. Um, it's just interesting that it's like the way that God treats us is perfectly level and with no like, what's the word? Um, partiality. Yeah. 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 And one thing I think that's important to note is that I don't think, you know, it's talking about grafted in and cut off and things like that. I don't think this is talking about individuals mm. like losing their salvation and being cut off. I think he's, right. he's talking about whole groups of people and he's basically saying, by and large, Israel has rejected me and they're cut off. Even though Paul said like, there is this remnant, people yeah. like me who are Jewish and still following Jesus. And by and large, the Gentiles have been grafted in. That doesn't mean that you or I could lose your salvation. Paul's not even trying to wade into that conversation. He's talking about this big narrative of who are the people of God that he is going to use to bless the nations. And he's saying right now, Gentiles, it's you guys who have grafted in. But if you guys all of a sudden are like, we don't believe in Yahweh. Yeah. Then he's not just going to be like, well, no, that's fine. You can hang around for a little bit. Yeah. Um, And so he, yeah, he's calling them to embrace humility. I think this is, you know, maybe we'll just jump into implications. We keep talking about the passage, but one of the main things this makes me think about is that our salvation should spark humility, not arrogance. Mm -hmm. And that seems obvious. And yet I think in my own life and as I just kind of, I don't know, like when I'm reading online or something like that, it does seem like it's easy for Christians to become sort of arrogant and proud about we're God's people and to look down on others in a really unhelpful way that often distances us from them, that hinders us from expressing love. We kind of write people off sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm curious if you, if you feel like you see that, if you see moments where God's people who are saved Christians, instead of modeling humility, there's this arrogance specifically in like, we've been saved. Yeah, I see it in my own heart. I see like both sides of it. So I see like the good part where I'm like actually practicing being godly and and I feel my heart breaking for the yet to believe. Like yeah. that is something that I felt before. And that's a great feeling. It it's like not a, you know, you get it. It's a, it's yeah. it's a godly feeling. But then there are times when I'm not it feels like I'm not really aware of what I'm thinking about a certain person where I find myself just being like, oh, "I don't want to go talk to this person because they're difficult or they're going through this thing and I I don't want to carry it with them or something. And there's this like subconscious desire in me, this subconscious thought that's always kind of there that I'm, I'm battling off that says like, um, I have been chosen by God and maybe they haven't. And like, there's just this prideful, like, 
I don't know, it just, it, and it festers and it can be like a disease in me that like I have to, that God just like, I think God uses uh, the way that he, how do I say this? When I sin, when I hit my knees in repentance and God humbles me, that is also when I'm able to be with yet to believe in a really humble spot because I recognize my wretchedness. It's when I don't like view my wretchedness in light of the cross that I have that arrogance towards uh, the yet to believe people. Yeah. And, and there's like, there's nuances to that. I think, um, I think sometimes like, well, I don't even know if I want to go down a rabbit trail of like Sabbath and needing rest. And that's why I, you know, maybe you don't, talk, mm. you know, you, you don't go, yeah. um, do ministry every single day with every single person, but that's a whole nother rabbit trail. I don't think we should go down. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I like that. And as you're talking, it's just make me think that there is like a, a sort of a quiet current that could tug a Christian into a mindset where we look at non-Christians as enemies who need to be crushed sometimes or people to distance ourselves from people to oppose people to, um, or even like people to convince people to mm -hmm. argue with. Mm -hmm. I think that can be one of the, uh, yeah, we want to win. We just want to like win the argument. Yeah. Like when I was trying to get into apologetics a little bit, the whole thought process behind it and the desire behind it was just so that I could win an argument and feel better about myself. It wasn't so that I could love this person. Yeah. And I think that's common. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm just thinking this is not explicit in this passage, but it's implied that our heart towards those who don't believe should be a deep longing Mm. to see them know Jesus. Even if they, even if they oppose us, like the new Testament is so clear that we're supposed to love our enemies. And so even people who, disagree with us, who oppose us, who, um, think that we're crazy. Those are people who need love, who need to hear the gospel, are people to pursue. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I think there is, none of us probably want to be swept up in that, but there is just this pull Mm -hmm. to kind of have this us versus them mentality. Yeah. And it's comfortable. Yeah. And, and rather than like, uh, they are people who like me need Jesus. Yeah. Like viewing, viewing myself before Christ in them is like, that's money for me. Yeah. Like I was with, um, I, we had young adults last night and for our life group, we just had a campfire and had s'mores and stuff. It was awesome. And then pro tip, put Reese's instead. Oh of, dude, that's so dude, good. It's, it was crazy. So anyways, we did that. And then instead of doing like, um, a study through the word, we just split off into little groups around the campfire. And it was great. Cause I got to get deeper with a few, closer guys, um, that I hadn't before. And I just ended up walking around church with this guy and my heart is just like, this thought just keeps coming up. Like this dude is me three years ago. Mm. Like I see the thoughts that he has and the way that he thinks about his faith and what he's struggling with and what he's wrestling through is so much where I was. Um, and I think that's just the Holy Spirit reminding that of that. But as we're engaging with the yet to believe, as we're engaging with this opponent world that we sometimes view it's like no if we can actually see the like imago day in that person like the value that that like is infinite within that person because god has created them and purchased them as well and on top of that like you i was that i was that person and needed someone to just be there and and also do the same thing that i'm doing we did that last night and i just walked away so joyful because it was like 
just powerful, not just for him, but for me to be like, man, God has rescued me from that three years ago. And now I get to like help with this and with this person. But yeah, I don't know. You make it when we don't make it personal and we don't make um, ministry personal, it just, someone becomes a project or someone becomes someone, something to convince. Yeah. And it's just like not the way Jesus interacted with people. Yeah. One of the things I love in the New Testament, one of the things I love, a moment I love in the New Testament is when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And I think it's in the account in Mark, it says that Jesus looked at him with love Mm. and then he tells him to go sell everything. But the Mark makes a point to tell us that Jesus is asking this man to do this challenging thing. But, but the, the reason he's talking like this and asking this is because he loves this man. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I love that picture of Jesus looking at all these people who he's bumping into with love and then trying to discern what they need. When you're talking, one of the things that I appreciate is you just highlighting that part of maintaining humility in our own heart and our own life is also maintaining a healthy view of our own sin and who we are and where we're from yeah, and not ever thinking like I've arrived and I've made it as some sort of special Christian who's got their stuff all pulled together. I, I sometimes think about how as Christians, by definition, we are the people who have raised our hands and said, I don't have it all together. Like that's what it means to be a Christian is to raise your hand and say, I don't have it all together and I need you Jesus to save me. But then sometimes I think we get into church and we like lower our hand and start Mm. acting like we have it all together all of a sudden. Like, Mm. I've been a Christian for a little while. Like I used to struggle with stuff, but we're kind of unwilling to talk about our struggles. We're unwilling to talk about our sins. We just want everybody to think we've, we've got it together. We're super spiritual, whatever. And that's just ridiculous because none of us do. And to be a Christian means to forever keep your hand raised as someone who is saying, God, I need your help. And if we maintain that kind of posture of appropriately embracing our weakness, our finiteness, our neediness, and our sinfulness, and then looking to Jesus for power and strength and grace and love so we're not slipping into despair, then I think we can actually walk around with humility Mm -hmm. and I can bump into somebody and be like, dude, I'm no different than you other than the fact that God has showered me with his grace. Yeah. But there's nothing I've done that like yeah. makes me any different. And so of course I want to love you, help you. I'm not going to like lord my salvation over you. So I think for me, as I read this passage and as I hear you talking, I want to like re-embrace that posture of keeping my hand in the air mm-hmm. and embracing weakness and yeah. not not pretending like I have it all together. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that's coming to mind is you're talking about that is how we, how we raise our hand is because we have confidence in God's kindness, which is what he's saying in this passage. It's like, um, where does he say in 22, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Like the, the only reason we can be humble and admit our desperation and our dependence and like the severity of our sin, it's like, because we're greeted with kindness because we're greeted with just grace upon grace just showered upon us and how we actually go to a yet to believe and how we um, go show humility towards others is only because it's God's kindness hitting us and allowing us to hit others. You know, it's an overflow Yeah. Um, there. So that word mm. kindness is just, I love that. That's beautiful. I was in uh, Genesis this morning when um, Eve and Adam just like eat the fruit and they mess up in chapter three and, 
but then there's this short little quick line that we're like, so God made them some clothes. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like there's overtones of the sacrificial system in that, but then there's also just like God's kindness always from the beginning. Yes. There's always, even in our sin, in purity and in sin, like God is just kind to us. It's his character and it's the way that we live. We live swimming in this ocean of his kindness. Um, and that just makes us humble because it's like, shoot, dude, like Adam and Eve literally did the one thing they weren't supposed to do and received kindness as well as discipline, but yeah. kindness. Yeah. Yeah. And then the flip side that Adam and Eve actually, they also, we also see in them is this warning that God will be severe when we persist in unbelief or mm-hmm. arrogance. Yeah. And that's like, we're not, you know, we don't always like talking about warnings and stuff, but I think no. it's important to hear in this passage, there is this warning that Hey, if you just persist in being an arrogant person, you you will taste God's severity. And yeah. in the life of, of a believer, that might just be God's discipline because he loves you. That's what Hebrews says. But I would prefer, <laughs> I would rather like partner with the spirit to learn to be humble than to live an arrogant life and have to be disciplined and experience yeah. severity. Just to your knees. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, when God's disciplining people, his children that's because he cares for us and loves us. But I just, yeah, I mean, that's a good warning too of like, um, it's important to recognize the weight of our sin and that turns us to embrace the grace of God, which in turn helps hopefully nurture humility in our heart. Otherwise we may experience something severe and that's not pleasant to think about, but that is what Paul is trying to help them think about. And Mm -hmm. so he's calling them to do just enjoy God's kindness and, you can do that as you just like rest in humility. Yeah. Um, so any, I don't know, any last thoughts? Yeah. And I don't know, the, just that we don't know who's going to be grafted in. Like that's been a theme through Rome. It's yeah. like, you don't know who the remnant is. Um, and part of that humility is not writing people off and saying, oh, that he's definitely, he's been severed from the olive tree. Like <laughs> that's not helpful. Um, it's not helpful. And we and, don't know, like you said. And it's not what Paul's saying. Yes. You know, so. And I always think of the guy writing this book. I know I talked about this maybe last week or the week before, but Paul, who's writing this book, a book of the Bible, was for sure the kind of person, if you're going to write somebody off, you would have writ- written him off because he was murdering Christians and throwing them in prison. I doubt many Christians in the early church were like talking about Paul as the dude on the the edge who was like almost almost turning to Christ. Yeah. He, he looked as far away as you could possibly be. And yet God saves him and uses him in this profound way. And so if the apostle Paul, who's murdering Christians can be saved, grafted in, drawn home, then any of the people in our life who look like they're too far gone, certainly are not. And so, yeah. So the call is for us to embrace humility and to go pursue those people, to love them, to preach to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff really good well whether you are cleaning your house playing with your children mowing the lawn we did not hear i think two weeks ago jake said that if anybody out there is is listening to this podcast while mowing the lawn we have a prize for you which you said was a lawnmower (laughs) that's That's right (laughs) so apparently and you could this is so easy because all you have to do is like tomorrow, just plan on listening to the podcast again while you mow the lawn. Yes. Go find Jake on Sunday. I'll get brand, you. <laughs> brand, or I did, you didn't say brand new. Yeah, some sort, a, of, lawn some sort of lawnmower heading your way. Yeah. But whatever you're doing, 
thank you for listening. We hope this is helpful. Um, and as always, do your own prep and let the Spirit lead you. Yeah, we love you all. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.